All right. Continuing on with the Sunday school, the rest of the story. I will say that uh, today is a strange story that we teach our kids because I don't think we teach our kids the full story, which is probably good. Um, we could get the slide up there. Jonathan, can we get the... Oh, there it is. There it is. Good. Good. All right. So today we are going to be talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. It is the next step in the Abraham story. And um, this is like not PG-13 today. It's actually probably somewhere between PG-13 and R. But uh, I don't see any little ones in here, so I think we're okay. Um, this, is a, this can be controversial nowadays, this story, because of what they, people make it into. Um, so let's just kind of look at what it is and try to figure out how it relates to the rest of the Bible. So the last time we were adventuring with Abraham, uh, Jesus came and visited Abraham. He brings two spiritual beings with him. Abraham essentially throws a barbecue for the group of them. He prepares an elaborate meal. He is a good host, and he hosts Jesus and his two spiritual being buddies there at his place. Um, Jesus is stopping by. He's got a couple things that they're on a mission with. He proclaims by next year, Sarah is going to have her own kid. Sarah laughs, and then she lies to Jesus about laughing about it. And uh, Jesus calls her out on the, you don't need to lie to me about what you were feeling and thinking. And uh, they proclaim that his name will then be Isaac, uh, which means laughter. And uh, they visit for a while, and then Abraham is walking with the group to see them off as they're going to their next place, which happens to be uh, the cities in the valley, which we've mentioned before in the story of Abraham, uh, the cities in the valley um, next to the Dead Sea. And they're going to go to Sodom, um, is the current city they're headed to. Uh, it says that the cries of injustice had reached the heavens from the people there in the city. So, so right away we know that there's, uh, this is the same language that is used for the Genesis 6 story that we covered where uh, the whole earth was in a state of hyper sin and it says the cries were reaching the heavens of the people desiring justice. And so this is, it, it brings that to our minds again. And uh, it's also very similar to the, the blood of Abel crying out from the ground for justice back in Genesis 3. So here we are, we're only in Genesis 19 and we're already seeing this, this repetition of there are times where injustice gets so much that, that God just steps in. There's a point where it's no longer about just men doing things, humans doing things. It's about God stepping in to do something about it. And uh, that's where we're at right now with this. You, you have Jesus who's having a conversation with Abraham as the two spiritual beings continue their journey. And Genesis 19 starts us off right from there. It says, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. And when Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, my lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the nights and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. 
So the first things that we can see in this section, Lot's hanging out in the city gate. The city gate is an important spot. It's where all the business happens. The city gate is also where all the commerce happens. So even though Lot is a visitor in this city, even though he is sojourning there, Lot has status already. Remember, Lot was very rich. He had a lot of things in store when he came. Um, But also, if you'll remember right, Lot's uncle is the one that saved all of these valley cities from the Mesopotamian kings. So they've already given Lot a place of position in the gates. And so that's kind of Lot's status at this point. Then we see that they want to stay in the square. They're coming to observe the cities. They want to be on the streets to see the people. And Lot already knows this is not going to go well for them. And so Lot is encouraging them to come to his house. They tell him no, but Lot persuades them to come. We'll come back to that next verse. I'll get a little bit further. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house. Talking about Lot's house. And they called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof. All right. There is a lot of messiness in this section. So let's talk about this. They wanted to know them. We all know what know them means. Um, These men, to put it frankly, want to have intercourse with these angels. Um, So there's multiple layers of depravity here that are going down. Um, Before I get too much further, let's read what 2 Peter has to say about this. Um, Because 2 Peter will help us with our thoughts on Lot. Because already, right now, we're not liking Lot. Okay. Lot's in a tough place. The Bible never never condones Lot's decisions. Um, But let's, let's read where Peter places this story in his teaching here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell or Tartarus, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. He's talking about the Genesis 6 story. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is happening, what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of their flesh and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, they, these people that despise authority and desire the flesh, bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters that we do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed like the animals they too will perish. 
So Peter is talking about this story. So let's talk about Lot for a little bit because the Bible refers to Lot in a couple places as a man of righteousness. And when you read this right here, uh, you're not thinking much about Lot's righteousness. He's willing to throw his daughters out there. And uh, there's no excuses that can be made for this. But it just also goes to show the idea of us being righteous regardless of our actions before God because we have believing loyalty. Um, let's talk about this for a second there. The other thing that we need to talk about is hospitality in the ancient world. When you brought somebody into your house and you fed them and they stayed in your house, you were also morally responsible to what happened to these people. You'll see this throughout the Old Testament and a couple other stories where the visitors are protected over the, the value of the person and the family of the house. Um, again, none of this is to condone Lot's actions. Um, the other thing we need to talk about is this is a story that is often brought up when talking about homosexuality. And when you talk about homosexuality, they use this as the focus of the story. The story is not focused on just homosexuality. There's a lot of things going on here. I think it is showing homosexuality as bad, which I'm not going to argue with. It's also the, the people that are, are more, what you would say, pro-gay will say that this story is about hospitality. Okay, it is. It's, it's about both. It's about homosexuality. It's about hospitality. And it's also about this idea that we're still catching in Genesis about spiritual beings and humans having sex. So there's a lot going on here. None of those three things are the focus. Um, we also know that there's a lot of injustice going on in this city, in the sins. Remember back when we talked about Abraham, Abraham would have nothing to do with the king of Sodom. Nothing. Because the, he was wicked in the wickedness of the city. He wouldn't attribute anything and just let him take everything because he didn't want to be involved with this king. We also know that in a different passage, it talks about the wickedness of Sodom in the Abraham story. So there's a lot going on there. Um, I just want to be clear that this, this just isn't, if you want to make a case about homosexuality being a sin, this is not really the story that you use to make a case about homosexuality being sin. But that's where a lot of people go with this story all the time. There's a lot going on here, though, that goes beyond that that I think is, is more important. Um, so they have come. They would like to have sex with these individuals. Obviously, there was a lot of sexual perversion in the city. Uh, the fact that it says all the people to the last man surrounded the house, it's, it's saying the entire city. The entire city is like this. And remember, how many, people do, how many people do the angels have to find in order to save the city? Do you guys remember? The number from our last one? Abraham was 10. Yeah, Shri's got it, 10. Um, Remember that whole section where Abraham is like getting Jesus to take the total of righteous people down. Well, if it's 40, well, okay, he's, he's still dealing with me. And uh, don't be angry with me, but how about we go to 10? I think he probably got, could have got him down further, but we don't know. So, so they're going to find 10 righteous people in this large city. And uh, as we can see, they are, uh, they're all pretty rotten. But they said, stand back. This fellow came to sojourn, and he, has and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So now they're angry at Lot. 
whatever is going on in their minds, the lust of their flesh, the depravity that, that Peter talks about with this group of people, now they've gone to the point where like, we're willing to go against Lot now, even though we know that Lot is Abraham's nephew. And we know that Abraham could crush these cities with the power of Yahweh. We're going to, this is more important to us. We must have these men. They pressed hard against the man Lot and they drew near to break the door down. But the men reached out, the men being the angels, but the men reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. Then they struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both great and small, so that they wore themselves out groping for the door. So even after the shocking thing of being turned blind, they're still in such a lust and weird desire that even blind, they're still groping for the door to get in there and seize what they came to seize. So it, it, this, is, this is bad. There is something going on spiritually in this city. There is something that has entered into these people. It's pretty crazy. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here? The men being the angels. It's funny, they go back and forth between men and angels, so they look like men. They're eating food. That whole thing again, where like there's when angels take on some kind of physical form, they can do human things. Uh, when the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city, bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and went to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters. Up. Get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So they have to use some miraculous power here to grab Lot and get him out of the city quickly. Lot is still attached to the comfortability of living in a city. He likes that city life. We don't know much more than that. We're going to see that later. We're going to see it right here. He just can't let go of the idea of being comfortable in the city. And his comfortability is going to get him killed because of staying in the city that is about to be destroyed. It's like Peter said, Lot is a righteous man who was tormented daily by just being in contact with the city. It was changing him on the inside what he was putting himself around and what he was engaging in. And here we see like he's, he's on death's door because he's become so attached to the comfortable. He's become so attached to whatever it is about this city. They brought him out and they set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Run to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have shown great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to. And it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it, is it not a little one? And my life will be saved? He said to them, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. 
Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. So the angel is saying, all right, I'll let you go to this smaller city. We won't toast it. Um, I can't do anything until you're out of here. Those are my orders. So the spiritual beings are acting on orders. Uh, Therefore, the name of the city was Zor. So here we go again. Lot just can't listen to the angels and get out of town and go to the hills where it's safe. He's got to go to the second city. So there's this attachment. There's something there. I don't know what it is. I'd like to, I'd like to know more about that. But he just couldn't do it. And uh, so the angels, they modify the plan. Uh, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor, and the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the city and what grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. So Lot's wife, still attached to the city life, that comfortability, the lifestyle of sin, looks back and she's salinized, saltitized. I don't know what the word would be for that, but that's, well, that's what she pays. Um, Now we get back to Abraham. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. So this is where, where Jesus had left him after he had taken his walk. And he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and towards all the land of the valley. And he looked and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. So, this is a picture from space, and the Dead Sea there is on the, on the it'd be, well, it'd be your left too. On the left side of the Dead Sea, there's some mountains, and on those mountains, let's see, I thought I had one more picture on there. Nope, I don't have it. Anyway, on the left side of the Dead Sea, there's hills that overlook the Dead Sea, and then the cities that were in the valley below. So Abraham is chilling still in the Oaks of Mambre. He goes to the top of these hills so he can look over across the Dead Sea and he can um, see the cities, the smoke coming up from the cities and the raining of fire and sulfur. Um, there is a really cool archaeological discovery that's been made in the last 20 years. It's started to be dug out, and I'm going to talk about that. Before I talk about that, I just kind of want to talk about, like, what, what is the lesson of this? What is the idea of this? So for Abraham, who is our main character, we took a little detour from Abraham, but for Abraham, who is our main character, we see that Abraham, as a man of righteousness, kept himself distance from the lifestyle of sin. He still knew what was going on. He was still participating in the commerce of the cities. There's, no, there's nothing that says that he was completely removed from the world and like living off-grid. But he knew enough to distance himself from that lifestyle of sin. And we can see from Lot that when you're emerged in that type of thing, the corruption just takes place. It just, it just seeps in. And sometimes we change, sometimes we see things. His, his loyalty in Lot, Yahweh didn't change. Yahweh saved him. He's considered a righteous man in the New Testament, but what was going on inside him was starting to change. And if we were to finish this story, Lot's life finishes very poorly. Lot ends up, he can't make it in Zor. 
Zor ends up being a pretty wicked city, which was why it was going to be destroyed in the first place. And he ends up leaving Zor to go hide in the hills, which he was originally supposed to do. And so he just brings more pain on himself. And then when he goes there, uh, more bad stuff happens in the caves. Sexual sin happens in the caves. His, his two daughters go with him, and they get him drunk. And his two daughters both have sex with him to carry on the family. And that's where we get the, uh, the Ammonites and the Moabites, who will finish out in the Old Testament. And we get that repeat of trying to get bad drunk to do what we want to do with, with generations in life that we saw that in Noah. And uh, Lot pays the price. He just pays the price of, of putting his, his soul through that. Abraham, who is our, our example, is still living in the area, but Abraham takes on the role of an intercessor. And we see that when he's discussing with Jesus and he's saying, hey, spare, spare the city. Don't kill them all. You're a righteous God. There's still righteous living among these. Spare. And, and so I kind of see that like that's our role. The idea is, is, is to stay away from sin. It's that whole in the world, but not of it. And uh, the idea that, that we have that intercessory role and like this idea of us being in that intercessory role uh, is ancient. First book of the Bible, ancient. And the idea that we, we just need to be, we need to be careful with, with corruption and wickedness and what we subject ourselves to. And we can see it. Our culture right now, the culture wars that are, we are engaged in, which the culture wars is its own thing. But there's, there's just so much wickedness and so much depravity. Um, some of which is the nature of the story, the, the depravity that was mentioned in the story. And, and we just need to be careful. We need to be careful what we engage in and what we surround ourselves with. And, uh, but at the same time, we can't just become a happy little Maranatha village living our own lives without looking at the world. Uh, because there's people out there that need what we have. So, to end with the archaeology, I've printed out, this is from the Smithsonian Journal. So this is not some Facebook story that someone posted from some Bible archaeology site that they may have made to do this story. There is a city in the Jordan Valley called Tal el-Haman, and they believe it may have been destroyed by an exploding comet or meteor. And it was probably the what inspired the biblical story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't know if it inspired the story. I think the story is a historical account of what happened, personally. At the time of the disaster, around 1650 BCE, Tal el-Haman was the largest of three major cities in the valley. It acted now, Tal el-Haman is now the Arabic, it's the Arabic name for the city currently, because it's in Jordan. So that's just the current city that's on the place. Um, It was the largest of the three major cities in the valley. It acted as a region's political center. Uh, Combined, the three metropolises in the area boasted a population, they think, of roughly 50,000. So between Sodom and and Gomorrah, Zor, and there were two other valley cities that are mentioned uh, earlier on. Uh, The mud brick buildings stood, it looks like, up to five stories tall. So they had some bigger buildings. Over the years, archaeologists examining the structure's ruins have found evidence of a sudden high-temperature destruction event. 
For instance, pottery pieces that were melted on the outside but untouched on the inside. The new paper, published in the journal Nature Scientific Reports, examined possible causes of the destruction based on the archaeological record. The researchers concluded that warfare, a fire, a volcanic eruption, or an earthquake were the unlikely culprits, as these could not have produced heat intense enough to cause the melting recorded at the site. That left a space rock as the most likely cause. Because experts failed to find a crater at the site, they attributed the damage to an airburst created when a meteor or comet traveled through the atmosphere at high speed. It would have exploded, they think, roughly 2.5 miles above the city in a blast 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb used at Hiroshima. Air temperatures rapidly rose above 3,600 degrees Fahrenheit, Moore explains. Clothing and wood immediately would burst into flames. Swords, spears, mud bricks, and pottery would begin to melt. Almost immediately, the entire city was on fire. Seconds after the blast, they believe a shock wave ripped through the city at a speed of roughly 740 miles per hour faster than the worst tornado ever recorded. The city's buildings were reduced to foundations in rubble. None of the 8,000 people or any animals within that city would have survived, Moore adds. Their bodies were torn apart and their bones blasted into small fragments. Corroborating the idea that an airburst caused the destruction, the researchers have found melted metals and unusual mineral fragments among the city's ruins. One of the main discoveries they found is something called shocked quartz. These are sand grains that that contain cracks that form only under high pressure. The archaeologists also discovered high concentrations of salt in the destruction layer, possibly from the blast impact on the Dead Sea or its shores. The explosion could have distributed the salt across a wide area, possibly creating high salinity soil that prevented crops from growing and resulted in the abandonment of cities along the lower Jordan Jordan Valley for centuries. In the book of Genesis, God rained down upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The smoke of the country, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. According to the Gospel of Luke, on the day that Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and sulfur from heaven and destroyed them all. Whether Tal El Haman and Sodom were actually the same city is an ongoing debate. The researchers point out that the new study does not offer evidence one way or the other. All the observations stated in Genesis are consistent with a cosmic airburst, says Cunnett in the statement, but there's no scientific proof that this destroyed city is indeed the Sodom of the Old Testament. So, I thought that was interesting. That's a recent thing that we find, and uh, they can go there, and they're, they're pulling salt and melted metals. It is fun that the salt is in there, because I've always wondered, like, why? Why pillar of salt? Lot's wife. Like, that doesn't... I don't know about that. That's weird. But they have reasons for salt distributed around the area. And I thought that's very interesting. Um, whether that was Sodom, I don't know. Kind of leaning towards it. But um, the other thing that, that that's interesting about this story is when you look back at Genesis 6, uh, God destroys the world with water. And he destroys the world with water. And the main sin at the time, the thing that kicked off the sin, was, was um, these spiritual beings having sex with humans. That desire there. So you have that. But then in this story, you have the inverse. You have God destroying the city with fire instead of water because men wanted to have sex 
but the spiritual beings. So it's kind of like they're two, they're two inverse stories, you know, within 13 chapters of each, of each other. And uh, we just kind of see that I believe this was only 400 years after the flood. So only, only 400 years. And, and there were cities that were already kickstarting everything that was going on before the flood. So humans just don't learn. But luckily we serve a God who is faithful through all these ages and uh, deals with the righteous faithfully. And uh, I look out on our world today and I'm just like, ugh, ugh. Let's figure this out. We don't need more meteor with high impact comet coming down and destroying cities. Um, but yeah, so the faithfulness of God with that. And uh, again, we see Lot counted as righteous, but we can't condone anything Lot was doing. And the Bible never says that his actions were good. It just shows it is that, it is that loyalty to Yahweh, that loyalty to Jesus that, that we believe. And then our faith is worked out with that. And that's, that's the key. Even when we falter, um, that's the key. And so try to keep your hands clean. If you're surrounded by stuff, you're going to have to remove that stuff. Remove yourself. Keep your hands clean. And uh, serve no other. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you again for your faithfulness. We thank you again for your, your working through uh, and working with people who are by no means perfect or relatively close to being perfect. And Lord, I'm always struck by your faithfulness. And Lord, that, that you are the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us to intercede for our culture, for our country, for our cities. Um, Lord, that we don't need to go to war ourselves, but we can just show them what we have. And by showing them what we have and showing them you, the change takes place. Lord, we need more of your power, more of your love in us. So show us what we need to do to make room for that. And give us those moments where we see the, see the need to intercede for certain things. Lord, we don't, we don't want to see the righteous perish with the unrighteous. We don't want to see anybody perish. We want them to know you. Lord, we need more of you. Holy Spirit, teach us. We love you, Lord. And just give us, give us ideas and thoughts of you in these, these prayers throughout our week. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.